Amen. Amen. Praise God for all he's doing. Amen. Amen. What a privilege it is to, to serve our Lord and worship our Lord and to prepare our hearts to welcome our Lord as we celebrate his arrival and birth on Christmas. My name is Dan Hammer. I have the privilege of being the senior pastor here. And if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, we'd love to meet you after the service. And I just want to welcome you, whether you're here in person or online. We are so glad that you are here. You are loved here. And it's just a joy to have you here as we celebrate all that God is doing here. We're going to continue our Come and See Christmas series in the Gospel of Luke. So if you want to get a head start, we're going to be in the tail end of the gospel, Luke, Luke chapter one, um, in a moment as we go verse by verse through the first two chapters of the gospel of Luke in this Christmas series to see just the incarnation as we celebrate all that God is doing. But praise God for how he's building his church. Amen. And he's building it. And one of the ways that he's building it is there's a lot of little ones here this morning. It's awesome. Amen. And so it's just praise God to see him, him doing that. And we celebrate that and we, we rejoice for that. And we're looking forward expectantly next week to celebrate Christmas. Eve, as Nate said earlier, I would just want to reiterate what he said and encourage you to invite others and who will might even invite others and want to encourage you next Sunday to come at four, come even a little bit early. And when you come, if you don't mind moving in and moving up, because we want, we're expecting more. And so when you come with your families, if you can come and sit as close as you can, which might not be as normal for some of y'all, um, and just come into the middle so we can make room for those that might come a little later or might be their first time here. Uh, we're expected and excited to celebrate Christmas with, with many next Sunday. Uh, next Sunday afternoon. So praise God for that. And one of the things I'm really excited about our service, we have a very special service planned, is we're going to show a video of how God is, is at work in and through the life of a church that goes beyond these borders to another country. And uh, we get to celebrate and see and hear how God is working in and through uh, one of our church members, Victoria Garris, on the mission field. And so I want to encourage you to come for that and be expectant for that as God is working. We filmed it this week and just praise God. I just want you to know for how he's moving and how he's working in that. And one of the ways that we're supporting Victoria is supporting the work in the Dominican Republic and even the work here locally as we look to catch up on our giving shortfalls through end of the year giving. And praise God that we're about 50% of the way there. Praise God for that. Amen. Let's give him the joy. Yeah, we're about 50, we're about $5,000 or so, give or take, uh, to our $10,000 goal. And so if you would just consider helping us get there and get above and beyond and sort of giving normal tithes and offerings to advance the mission of his church. And so we're just thrilled for that and praise God for all that he's doing in that and uh, praise God for how he's working. Now, I know that this might be hard for some of you to believe and maybe not so hard for some others of you to believe, but I was not a perfect child um, and I'm not a perfect adult. I hate to break that to you. Thank you for your grace now. Um, but when I would get in, try, in trouble as a kid and sometimes I spent more time on the naughty list than the nice list, um, I would get a consequence for my misbehavior. And uh, whenever that consequence would come down for either of my parents, I had this habit of going, please give me mercy, which meant what? Remove the consequence. I had deserved it but I didn't want to experience it. Please, could you, mom and dad, remove whatever said consequence was? And you know what? Sometimes it would work. Praise God for that. <laughs> now, today in the text, in Luke 1, 57 through 80, we're going to see a vivid display of God's mercy. Over and over and over again, how the mercy of God, which we see vividly in the story of the Christmas and uh, the Christmas story, really takes away the punishment that you and I deserve. The beautiful mercy of God on vivid display to people who totally don't deserve it, but whose lives are absolutely transformed through it. Praise God for that. And as in a, into their hopelessness, and, and as we look at Zechariah and, and Elizabeth, into their hurt and their heart and those around them, God's mercy provided them hope. And I don't know if you're feeling the hurt or the hopelessness of this world, but there's hope here today through the mercy of God. Into their reproach, God brought them rescue through redemption. 
Into their humiliation, he provided them redemption. Into their, in the middle of their sin, their shortcomings, their shame, God's mercy brought them salvation. Praise God for that. And today we're gonna to celebrate that. We're gonna commemorate that. We're gonna remember that as we celebrate communion and partake in communion at the end of the service. That's what the cups are in front of you on the chair. So if you are joining us at home, prepare for that. Just grab a, a, a cracker or a juice, whatever you have available as we prepare to celebrate communion at the end of this service. Because I don't know what reproach or shame you carried into this room or joined us online with today. I just want you to know that redemption is here through the mercy and grace of God. I don't know what areas or parts of your life you're, ex you're experiencing and, and just running, just belief in God or doubting the promises of God. Well, Zechariah gets you. And we're gonna see that through the mercy of God, he is transformed through that. I don't know what difficulties or hostilities you're facing or what darkness you're walking through, but I just want you to know as we pop the hood on the heart of God that the mercy of God is sufficient enough to provide you salvation and redemption for you today, to be the light into the darkness that we are all experiencing. It's a dark world outside, amen? But man, we got the light of Jesus Christ. We got the light of Jesus Christ. And as we see the mercy and the grace of God vividly displayed in the text today, we see that the hope that comes from God and we actually will see literally in the text a pathway to peace. So I don't know if you're experiencing peace today, but I want you to know that through the mercy of God, the peace of God is possible for you today as we will see explicitly in the text. Praise God for that. It's an invitation today to come and see the mercy of God, to come and have your life changed and transformed by the mercy of God. Now, what is the mercy of God? There are a couple different definitions, but one working definition for us today is that the mercy of God is the loving kindness of God towards mankind into our misery and our mess, demonstrating uh, the compassionate heart, the affection that God has for us to help us and to save us, to take away something that we do deserve, which is the consequences for our sin. The clemency of God towards men and women in offering and providing us salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, the mercy of God does not always remove the earthly consequences for our sin. Sin has consequences. But the mercy of God absolutely always covers the eternal consequences for our sin by the grace of God and Jesus Christ giving us the opportunity to have a restored relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, that we cannot earn, that we do not deserve, but is a gracious gift of God's grace and mercy through his unconditional love. Praise God for that. The big idea for the text, you'll see it on the screen, we're gonna see it in the text today, vividly today, and yours, you'll see it in your notes, is this, that God's mercy is the foundation of our redemption. And redemption is a breakthrough, it's a jailbreak. I don't know where you need to break, be, have an experience a jailbreak in your life, to experience an escape from captivity, but God is here to break through for you today. He is here to cover your sins. He is here to break you out of the bondage to our shame and our guilt and our sin through his love, through his mercy, and through ultimately his son, Jesus Christ, which is what we celebrate at Christmas. Praise God for that, amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that your mercy is enough. God, that in our mess, your mercy is more that your mercy is sufficient in every situation, God, that it's new every morning as a lamentation states. And God, we praise you for that. God, as we see your mercy vividly on display in this text today, I pray that we would trust your mercy and worship you because of it, obey you through it, God, and believe you in it. God, that we would experience the redemption, the salvation, the transformation that you offer through your heart of loving kindness towards us, giving us something we don't deserve, taking away something we do deserve, and offering us the eternal gift of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Father, I just pray that you would silence my words and that your words would flow. It's a dark world that needs your light. Praise God that we have that light in Jesus Christ. It's a world full of hopelessness and bondage that needs a breakthrough, that needs a jailbreak through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us that. God, help us to come and see that and to believe it, to live it, to obey you for it and worship you because of it, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. Luke chapter one, verses 57 through 58 is where we are going to be this morning. So this is the word of the Lord. And if you don't have a copy of God's word for yourself, we would love to give one to you. There is plenty available for you on the back on the connections table. That would be our gift to you um, today and every day. Luke 1, 57 through 80. This is the word of the Lord. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And and he, he Zechariah, asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give the knowledge of the salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Praise God. And the child grew and he became strong in his spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. I love verse 79. The reality that many of us sit in darkness but there is light available to us and the reality that the Holy Spirit, that God is here to guide our feet onto the way of peace. You know what that means? That even if you aren't currently on the way of peace, God is here to guide you onto that way of peace today. Through his mercy and because of his grace, peace is possible. There is a way of peace. You might not be walking it right now, but we can choose to walk the way of peace. So we see three aspects of God's mercy in this text. It's mentioned three different times in this text. Three peace-producing aspects, three aspects that guide us onto the way of peace. 
So the first aspect, peace-producing aspect of the mercy of God that we see in this text is this. The mercy, God's mercy produces transformation. It produces transformation. So what should we do? How should we walk in the way of peace? How should that guide us? We should respond with the step of worshiping God because of it. We should worship, and as we worship, we experience peace. So God's mercy produces transformation. Look with me at verse 57. It says, now the time for, came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. You might, okay, what's the big deal? Well, if you've been with us for a couple of weeks or you go back and read the first verses of the gospel of Luke chapter one, you know what a big deal this is, right? Elizabeth was old in age. She was barren. It was impossible physically for her to bear a child. She experienced much reproach, the text said, because of it in the community. People are, what's wrong with you? But they continued to serve God faithfully. But God intervened in his mercy and transformed her from being barren without child to now being blessed with child. What a transformation by God's mercy. He removed the reproach that she had been experiencing and he replaced it with the birth of a son. In this, in this one simple verse, in verse 57, we see the beautiful reality that God fulfills his promises because Gabriel had showed up to Zechariah and said, you will bear a son and, and Zechariah had a little trouble believing that initially, but God still did it. Praise God for that, that he's still working even when we struggle to believe what grace and what mercy he has. So she bore a son. Now imagine the scene, verse 58 says, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to God and they rejoiced with her. So they gathered around and they're like, what's going on? Now, if you go back to earlier in the text, you remember that she had experienced, Elizabeth had much reproach. It said much reproach among the people, verse 25. So probably some of these same neighbors that are now celebrating with her have been the source of a lot of reproach and shame strewn about her earlier. What a transformation. We see the mercy of God on display and, and, and what did the neighbors say specifically in verse 58, right there in the text? They said, yay, John was born, but what, what did they recognize the deeper reality there? That the Lord had shown great mercy to Elizabeth. Praise God for that. Praise God that God's mercy was on full display. Praise God for the journey that Zechariah and Elizabeth had been on. Sometimes all of us struggle to be on the pathway to peace because we have unmet desires, unmet expectations. Zechariah and Elizabeth get you. They had experienced all of them. They had yearned for a child. That's not a bad thing to yearn for a child, but they were without child and the reproach and the shame and the difficulty that they experienced. But we see that God has always been working because now, there, was there any doubt of whose work this was that produced this child? No, it was the Lord's mercy. They recognized the reality that the Lord had shown her great mercy. Sometimes, and this is hard, that God allows us to walk a path of difficulty and adversity in our earthly life so that he might receive more glory. He doesn't always fill us in along the way. Decade one, decade two, decade three, barren, barren, barren. He wasn't saying, don't worry, Zechariah and Elizabeth, a baby will come one day. And some, maybe for some of us this morning, we're struggling to find that peace. We're struggling to have hope because we're focused so much on our earthly desires and expectations and we're not trusting that God is at work in a bigger way that will give whatever he wants, whatever he wants that will give him the most glory. God's delay was not his denial in this situation. God was actually about to glorify himself even more through the waiting and maybe that's true for your situation. May we transform our hearts to trusting God in it 
as opposed to turning, God from a, turning away from God through it. Praise God that he was at work. This is, and this joy that we are seeing experience, this, this shouting of great mercy, the rejoicing of the community at the birth of John was a fulfillment, partially or even fully, of, of one of the verses earlier. In Luke 1.14, the Gabriel said to Zechariah, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. So we see God, God continually fulfilling his promises. God always keeps his promises. God always accomplishes his purposes. What did they respond with in this view of the mercy of God? It transformed Elizabeth from barren to blessed, from childless to giving birth. What did they do? They rejoiced, that's worship. They responded with worship. Worship is literally ascribing worth. They gave God the glory, they noticed his mercy, they declared it, they rejoiced at it. But while mercy is, while rejoicing is part of worship, it's not the totality of worship. Worship is a 24-7 lifestyle. It's a heart posture of surrender that is ascribing more worth to God. It's, worship is not just what we sing on a Sunday morning. It's not just turning your tunes to 91.9 or whatever on Spotify you have. That's part of it, but it's not totality. Worship is a 24-7 thing. So where else do we see worship in this text? Well, we see it right here in verse 59. We see it through obedience. Obedience is worship. We see it in verse 60 and 61 and 62 and 63. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. Mary and Zechariah and Elizabeth were obeying what God had commanded in the Old Testament that Jewish boys were to be circumcised on the eighth day as a sign of the covenantal relationship that God had with his people. Praise God that he keeps his covenants, amen? So they were obeying him. And, and what we see here is while they didn't have a gender reveal party probably, they probably didn't have a baby shower party. You know what they had? They had a circumcision party apparently. Because the relatives and the family came to watch some, you know, I don't know if they got the, the full-on display of the circumcision, okay? Um, but they gathered around. On the eighth day, they came, okay, were there. And apparently, a little discussion was being had by well-meaning, hopefully we're going to give the benefit of the doubt, right? Well-meaning relatives and friends that said, obviously, his name's going to be Zachariah Jr., right? <laughs> Not so fast, my friends. Elizabeth said this, nope. His mother said, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives are called by this name. Do you see this well-meaning? Hopefully we're gonna give the benefit of the doubt, okay? Well-meaning. Are trying to talk to Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth and Zechariah had already been given by Gabriel that said his name shall be called John. They've been given a word of the Lord to follow and to obey. But well-meaning relatives and friends were trying to, well, slightly adjust them off the course. Any of your relatives and well-meaning friends try to, well, get you to slightly adjust off the course of following God's word. And if it wasn't enough that, that, that Elizabeth had said these things, in verse 62, they're like, okay, we're gonna go now talk to Zechariah. Now, remember, he could not speak because he had, as, as, in, as a result of him initially doubting the word of Gabriel that Elizabeth would actually have a child, Gabriel said, well, you're now gonna be mute until the baby is born. So he can't speak for over nine months and so this is like a, a teenage, uh, one of your kids, and I don't know if this happens in your house, it sometimes happens in ours, but maybe our, our, we're the only one, where one kid goes to one parent and says they don't get the answer they want, what do they do? They go to parent number two, right? So these family and friends, they didn't get their way with Elizabeth, so they're going to Zechariah and they're saying, okay, I want you to weigh in on this. Really, you're not gonna name him after yourself? That's the culture 
That's the expectations. That's the family history, the family patterns. And Zechariah 63, he asked for a writing tablet. And by tablet, he's not talking about an iPad. His name, he said, his name is John, definitively settled matter. And they all wondered in amazement, like, why the gospel of John? Why John? What? John's not a family name. Friends, in your life, are you allowing scripture to settle you? Like, are you, especially in the holiday season, like we have well-meaning family and friends that might want to try to point you to a course that isn't what God's word is to you. Are you obeying God's word and standing on God's word? Or are you allowing cultural norms, family traditions, and the words of family and friends to distract you and take you away from the word of God? Because you want to honor them, you want to serve them more than you want to actually serve God's word. Where do we need to stand firm in a loving way, but a gracious way? But Zachariah and Elizabeth both said his name is John. Why? Because God says so. Now, I think a really important thing and really life lesson thing here is, is the name Zachariah a bad name? No. So how do we know what God's, what we, what, what God's word wants us to do if we want to obey, obey God as a heart of worship to God? Like Jesus himself said, if you love me, keep my commandments, you will keep my commandments. So first, is what, is what I'm thinking about doing is in an alignment with God's word. I think the name Zechariah is in alignment with God's word, right? But sometimes in our life, things that are in alignment with God's word, the Holy Spirit says you should do X. And we have a word of the Lord, and if we are not obedient to that, we are being disobedient. Here, Gabriel had said, you shall, his name shall be John. There's nothing wrong with the word, the name Zechariah. There's nothing unbiblical about that. But God had definitively made it clear what they should do. And they obeyed. Has God definitively through his Holy Spirit given you something that you should do, but you're denying it, doubting it, delaying it, ultimately disobeying it out of fear or out of whatever reasons? Worship elevates worth to God, right? It ascribes God overall. It elevates God's word overall. It's the transformation of God's mercy that changes our hearts from fighting against God and his word to surrendering our hearts to God and his word. What a humility and what a boldness. And look at what, when, when Zechariah does this and he writes, look at verse 64, what happens immediately? Literally in the text. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed. And he spoke for the first time in nine plus months because he stood on God's word. He stood for God. He obeyed God. God removed in his mercy the, 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 the result of him previously disobeying. He transformed him from not being able to speak to now being able to speak out of his mercy. Why? Because he obeyed. And what's the first thing that he did? He blessed God. He praised God. He worshiped God. He didn't go, God, why did you, your punishment was unreasonable. Why nine months quiet? I missed out on all this. How many of us are like, God, why did you have, do this to me or allow this for me? And why, why? No, first thing he did, he had experienced the mercy of God in a transformational way. His heart was different. God had worked, done an amazing work on his heart in nine plus months. And he wanted to worship God. He didn't push back on what God had chosen to do and making him mute. He worshiped God for what God had done in giving him a son and experiencing his mercy. Are you choosing to worship? Are you choosing to elevate God and ascribe the appropriate worth to God? And we see that all throughout this text. We see 
transformation happening and a worshipful response from Zachariah and Elizabeth. They had experienced transformation from reproach to rejoicing Elizabeth had. Verse 25, she's reproaching in chapter one. Now verse 58, she's rejoicing. Zechariah had gone from disbelieving in verse 20 of chapter one to now praising. He's gone from doubting to proclaiming and declaring. We're gonna see that throughout the rest of the text in verse 67 through 79 about who God is, who Jesus is, who John the Baptist will be. He's gone from doubting that to declaring it. And all of us, as we will see throughout the rest of this text, the mercy of God transforms us from being from condemnation to redemption. Praise God for that. We see the worshipful response of rejoicing, obeying, praising. Is that true in your life right now? Are you recognizing the mercy of God's of God, the grace of God in your life? Anybody remember from a couple weeks ago, or maybe just know what the name John means? It means God is gracious. His name shall be John. He shall be a declaration of the grace of God as the forerunner to the savior of God. This text is full of God's mercy and God's grace. It points us, yes, to the incarnation, but also to the crucifixion and the resurrection, which gives us the ultimate transformation from being lost to found, hostile to holy, all through the grace and the, and the, and the mercy of God. God wanted his glory on display with his, by his grace and his mercy. Praise God for that. May we worship him forever for that. Because that eternal reality is not changing even when our earthly circumstances do. We're gonna praise him when we can't talk. We're gonna praise him when we can talk. We're gonna praise him when we're barren. We're gonna praise him when we're blessed. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God's character doesn't change even when our circumstances do. Praise God for that. We see it on vivid, vivid display. God's mercy is the foundation of our redemption. The second peace producing aspect of God's mercy in this text is this. God's mercy provides redemption. Provides redemption. Produces transformation and it provides redemption. And in response to that, we should surrender and serve God to it. We see this vividly in, in Zechariah's prophecy. What's amazing is that we see the impact of a testimony in a life of worship in the verses preceding verse 67, because in verses 65 and 66, we see that fear came on upon all the neighbors, that's wonder, amazement. And the word of what God had been doing in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth and, and the birth of John spread all throughout the hill country. They were the talk of the town. God's glory is being magnified. All who heard them lay laid them up in their hearts saying, what then shall this, will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. They noticed, they noticed that God's hand was on this. For so long, the transformation had been, God must not be with you, right? Why aren't you with child? That was the assumption. And now they see that God's hand was with them. So when we stand and we worship and declare the transformation that God has done in us, it is a vivid testimony to all around us. And Zechariah begins to prophesy. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he began to proclaim the redemption that comes from the Lord. This 
these verses and this song, this prophecy is steeped in Old Testament scripture. In fact, you can probably go verse by verse and find an Old Testament reference for each and every one of these stanzas. We don't have time to do that right now, but there, the thematics and direct quotes are pulled directly and fulfillments of prophecy are laced and interlaced in this song, in this prophecy. And this connection of the old covenant to the new covenant, we see just God's vivid mercy and his grace. It's all, this song is, is, is often called the, Bene, the Benedictus, because that's Latin for the word blessed, which is Zechariah's first word. And it is ultimately a Holy, fill, Holy Spirit-filled declaration of redemption. Everything flows from verse 68 on. Verse 68 is sort of the thematic main theme for this. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and he has redeemed his people. He's visited means he's both looked down from on high. He is looking down and offering mercy and grace. And he's also visited literally through the incarnation. The visitation of God is demonstrated in the, the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. And he's redeemed his people. Now, what is redemption? Redemption means to set free by paying a price. To set free by paying a price. It has this connotation of a jailbreak, literally. A ransom. It's the releasing of a prisoner or the liberating of a slave. You know, who are, the, who are the prisoners or who are the slaves that need to be liberated? You and I. Out of the bondage of our sin. Because our sin creates a bondage and a, and a, and a, that we cannot get out of ourselves. It creates a payment that we cannot pay because every sin, just one sin, has a death penalty associated with it. And we can't pay it. It requires a perfect sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice. Anybody in this room perfect? I'm not. I can't pay my own price. Praise God for his mercy who pays my price for me. Who takes away my payment. And it's not just like it evaporates as if no one ever has to pay, but he actually puts it onto his account and says, I got this. Paid in full as we're going to vividly see in this text. It's beautiful. And so as we work through this song, this prophecy, may the beauty and the power of the gospel not just become stale or stagnant in our lives, but may we see the beauty and the majesty of God, the vivid display of the love of God, the, the mercy that meets us where we are and the grace that saves us. And may we respond with surrender and service. When you think about God's mercy and grace. The mercy, a short version definition, is the removal of something, the taking away of something I do deserve, which is a death penalty for my sin. Grace is giving us something we don't deserve, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's grace and his mercy meet perfectly at the intersect, perfectly at the cross of Christ. From the cradle to the cross, it's all about God's mercy and God's grace. If you think about redemption, what is the practical understanding of the word redemption? Well, if you think about it this way, our family, for the, for the most part, I'm off on Mondays and we try to make Mondays a family night. It's pizza night in our house. We, we love pizza. And so um, Papa, we also like to be good stewards of our resources. So we like coupons. Don't call us cheap, good stewards, okay? Um, but we, for the most part, whether you realize it or not, you can probably get Papa John's pizza 50% off more than half the year. Do some variety codes, no matter how many runs the Orioles score or whether the Ravens win or actually every Monday, it's football 50. Put in that code, it's 50% off. But here's the deal with that. If I wanted to order for round numbers a $10 pizza and I have a $10 off coupon for that pizza and I put my order, guess what? I have a $10 debt that I owe. 
And if that coupon will give me the pizza for free, it's not like the, the owner of Papa John's is, is, is not experiencing some loss, right? Or a covering of it. Because who actually pays for that pizza? The owner does. I get it for free. But when I redeem that coupon, whose tab is it going on for the, the dough and the sauce and the cheese and the man hours? The owner of the company who redeemed my coupon that I presented. So I walk away with a pizza for free. The owner, he puts it on his tab. In the same way, in a such bigger way, because as much as I love pepperoni pizza, trust me, God's propitiation is so much more. <laughs> Jesus Christ looks at us and says, put your sin debt on my account. He gives us his righteousness and he takes away our penalty and he puts it on himself and it says paid in full. And he did that when he bled out on the cross and he gave his life to be the perfect sacrifice, the ransom for our sins. Now you might be going, Pastor Dan, I thought this was all about Zechariah. Zechariah is, is the birth of, of John the Baptist. And isn't this song all about John the Baptist? Yes. It's also about Jesus. Multiple ways. One, John the Baptist's primary goal from, from, from womb to tomb is to point people to Jesus. We see that in the text. You child will be called the prophet of the Most High, who will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people. Verse 76. But also we see that the source of redemption is declared vividly in verse 69. It says, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now the horn of salvation, this is referring a lot to Old Testament passages. A horn is not like a French horn or a musical instrument you would play in, a, in an orchestra. You know what the horn is? It refers to a king and kingdoms and power and majesty. The salvation comes to us in the house of his servant David. It's saying that the savior, the salvation was gonna come from the line of David, the house of David. Now John the Baptist came from the line of who? He was a Levite. His, both of his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, came from the line of Levi, the house of Levi. So we, is he from the house of David? No. But you know who is? Jesus. Both Mary and Joseph are from the line of David. Verse 69 is referring definitively to David. The entire Old Testament continues to point us to Jesus, which is why we should always read the Old Testament with the Jesus and the gospel in mind. It's revealing to us the character of God, that God is not just giving us mercy and, mer and God is merciful. It's refer it points out the reality of our desperate need for a sin and points us to our need and the definitive reality of our coming savior, redeemer, redeemer Jesus Christ. So as the, as the song continues, there is a physical reality to this. And as, as, as Zechariah prophesies, that we should be saved, verse 71, from our old enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant. So the oath he swore to Abraham to grant us that we would be delivered from the hand of our enemies. It is absolutely talking about there are some practical physical deliverances, but it's talking about so much more. It's talking about spiritual deliverance ultimately. Because we have to remember this set in context, right? Mary and Joseph, Zechariah and Elizabeth lived under an oppressive Roman regime and did once Jesus try to overthrow that earthly government? No. He came to redeem us and deliver us from our, in our greatest need, in our greatest way, from our, from our sin, from our captivity to that and provide deliverance of that. 
Now, what's the foundation in verse 72 of the redemption that we're experiencing? Verse 68 talks about that God is looking and visiting us from high to redeem his people, to do what? To demonstrate the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to Father Abraham to grant that you would be delivered from the hand of our enemies. Isn't that amazing? The reality that God is faithful to his promises, to his covenants, to his people, that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob is the God of Zechariah, is the God of Elizabeth, is the God of Mary, is the God of Joseph, is the God of Derek, is the God of Gabby, is the God of Jacob. He's our God, isn't he? That same God who was merciful then and kept his promises then to redeem and restore is the same God that offers us redemption and deliverance today because that's who he is and that's what he, that's what he does. So what should we do in response to that? We'll get verse 74. Here's the purpose of it. You are delivered from the hand of your enemies that what? That we might serve him. That we might serve him, that we might surrender, go back to the horn of salvation, that's a kingdom reference, a power reference, so that we would serve to the, that we would serve and surrender to the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. That we would surrender to the one who's demonstrating power over all, sovereign over all, giving us salvation in all. He's the King that we would surrender to him, all of ourselves, not some of us, but all of us, and that we would then serve him. That word service can also be interpreted as worship. It, it, it enforces the reality that our service to God is an overflow of worship to God. It's worship. That we should serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him. Not just some of our days. Is that what the text says in verse 75? No. What does the text say there? All of our days. When we wake up and it's rainy and cloudy outside like it is today, or whether we wake up and it's sunny and bright, and that can absolutely be reality, it can also be a metaphor. When you feel like it, when you don't, are you serving the Lord? Are you surrendering your heart to the one true king? Are you trusting in him? Because he's the author of our salvation. He's the creator and sustainer. What does it look like to serve and surrender him? Well, everything. Our whole lives are meant to be worship. It means whether you can serve in, in our ministry team on a Sunday morning. You can serve here at church on a team. But it's also so much more than that. It's a lifestyle. It's serving God in your neighborhoods and in your cubicles and across the street and around the world. It's serving your ki- God by loving your kids and pointing them to Jesus, demonstrating the love and the gospel of Christ in word and in deed. It's loving others and putting them before yourself. It's, it's offering your whole selves without fear in holiness and righteousness before him. Remember, surrendering before God, under God, all of our days. In response to the holiness of God and the righteousness that we are pursuing, we are called to serve God. Are you serving God today? Are you waking up and going, how can I best advance your kingdom, God, today? And that can be across your kitchen table. It can be across your cubicle, across your your cul-de-sac, or across the world. We're called to serve our God, to advance the kingdom of God, to live on mission for God. In response to his mercy, that is our source of walking our feet in the way of peace. That is God guides us in the way of peace. Remember, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll keep my commands. Are you doing that? Are you living that way? This is what Deuteronomy 7, 9 says about our God and then his mercy and his love. It says, now, therefore, the Lord your God is, he is faithful. He who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, that word steadfast love can also be, tra- as the word has said in Hebrew, it can be translated as mercy. 
that God is faithful to keep his covenant from generation to generation to generation, and our response to that in view of God's mercy is to serve him. Paul writes in Romans 12:1 that I appear to you, appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Other translations say, in the view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's connecting all these things that we are to offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, that we might serve him without fear at a heart of worship, ascribing worth to God and surrendering to God as the King of kings and Lord of lords. I don't, what fears might keep you from serving the Lord? Um, might, ha- might get me out of my comfort zone if I have an awkward conversation at work. I might not know what to say. I don't know that, what about the in, uh, impact on my business or my job or my reputation? I'm not, I'm not, who's the focus in all that? Me. Beauty of God's mercy and his grace is that he provides for us everything that we need and have. What, are, what fear are you allowing, is, is keeping you from serving the Lord? What's fear this week is keeping you from inviting someone to church on Christmas Eve? Well, are you willing to apply this literally this week and serve the Lord by testifying about the Lord? We see the power of the gospel testimony earlier in this text and the lives that are impacted in the town and the community that is impacted on the vivid display of the mercy of God. Will you, this Christmas season, whether it's an invitation to Christmas Eve or intentional conversations around a dinner table or under, around a, a tree at Christmas or with family and friends, be an ambassador of the Lord as his servant and tell other people about how you've experienced God's mercy. Invite them to experience it as well. Because we are called to do that before all of our days, not just some of our days. Where is God asking you to do that? Because remember, God's mercy is the foundation of our redemption. And the third and final peace producing aspect of God's mercy right here in the text is this, is that God's mercy proclaims salvation. So God's mercy produces transformation, it provides redemption, and now it proclaims salvation. Zechariah pivots to speak directly to baby John the Baptist. What a powerful moment this is. A father to a son. And you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord, verse 76, to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people. John the Baptist's calling is to proclaim salvation in the forgiveness of their sins because what, verse 78? Because of the tender mercy of God. You see, the tender mercy of God results in the proclamation about the salvation that is offered from God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and the shadow of our death to guide our feet into the way of peace. There is no peace outside of the light. There is no peace outside of Christ. Scripture teaches us in Ephesians 2 that Jesus Christ himself is our peace. So what is our response to the reality that we are called to proclaim salvation? Believe it and share it. If you're sitting here and and hearing the message of salvation, my challenge and my loving ask of you is to believe it. John the Baptist's calling was to go and to proclaim it, to declare the mercies of God so that others would believe it and experience true and abundant life through it. And then to share it, just like John the Baptist is modeling for us here. 
Our life calling is to point others to Jesus, both in our, with our lips and with our life. In the workplace and at home, discipling our kids at church and abroad to proclaim the salvation. Are you faithfully doing that? Now, what is exactly this knowledge of salvation that John the Baptist is to be proclaiming? John the Baptist is like a farmer tilling the soil of the hearts of the people of Israel so that when Jesus comes, their hearts are ready to receive what Jesus is offering. This text teaches us three truths about salvation, the knowledge of salvation that John the Baptist is to share. The knowledge of salvation that is as alive for us today as it was a couple thousand years ago. The first truth about salvation is this. Salvation is personal and it's available. To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Friends, I love you and I love you, so I have to tell you, you are a sinner in need of a savior. You have sin, you've committed sins and you... You can't pay for those sins on your own. The knowledge of salvation is, for, begins with the understanding first that I am a sinner. I own that reality. I'm not gonna deny it. I'm not gonna excuse it. I'm not gonna justify it. I'm not gonna rationalize it. I'm gonna own the reality that I'm a sinner and I need a savior and I can't save myself. It's personal. I can't make this decision for you. Your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your friend, your family member, your parents, your child can't make this decision for you. You have to decide for yourself. It's a personal relationship. It's not religion, it's a relationship. And it only comes through Jesus Christ. He is the horn of salvation. So when we talk about knowledge of salvation, it's all about Jesus. Salvation does not come through John the Baptist. It comes through Jesus Christ and him alone. God's mercy, the second truth about salvation that we can experience today is God's mercy makes my forgiveness possible. Praise God, amen. To give the knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, we're verse 78, look at this. Because of what? The tender mercy of God. The tender mercy of God fuels the forgiveness of God. The forgiveness is available, it's possible for all of us. That God is a tender God. He is a lion, but he is also a lamb. That he loves you with compassion. He, Friends, I, I, we don't just say you are loved at the end of the service as a catchphrase. This text is crying out with the reality that you are loved. And that forgiveness comes with a price. It's a free gift to us, but it costs God everything. He sent his son. I was studying with a guy this week and we are in Leviticus 16. You know what that talks about? The day of atonement. God's mercy is enough in our mess, but you know what? God's mercy is messy. Read that. A lot of blood is shed for our expense. The mercy seat of God on the Ark of the Covenant covered with the spilled blood of a sacrifice pointing us to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who shed every ounce of his blood on the cross for you and I. What love that is, amen? What grace. I was, my heart was moved this week, rekindling the reality of the messiness of God's mercy. The cost that it cost him and the free gift that it is to me and you. 
What is forgiveness? It's a removal of a debt that you and I owe. It's, for, it's taking the debt away from someone else that, they, uh, that, that occurred when they sinned against you, hurt you. And God is doing that for us and he puts it on Jesus Christ, his son. How do we experience forgiveness? It's this, First John 1, 9 says this. That as we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, we own the reality that we mercy for his forgiveness, he will give it to us. Praise God for that and he'll cleanse us. That's God's mercy. Mercy, mercy, mercy. It's tender and it's transformational. Where do you need to ask God for the forgiveness of your sins today? There is no sin that you have committed that the grace of God, the mercy, the mercy of God did not cover and the grace of God will not forgive. I'm too far gone. I've sinned so much. Come today and confess your sins and experience the cleansing nature of the blood of Jesus Christ. The third truth of salvation is this. God's light is unstoppable. Tender mercy of God, 78 and 79, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness in the shadow of death. What I love about this is it does not deny the reality of our darkness. And you might be experiencing darkness today, darkness inside you, darkness around you. This gives me an image of someone sitting in solitary confinement, locked away, feeling hopeless, no lights, no bars, no visitors, and you just feel like you're done. But God, in a way that almost provides a bookend to verse 68, 78 here talks again about the sunrise of God visiting from on high, the visitation aspect, the breaking through, the reality that while weeping may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. It's often darkest before the dawn, but praise God that there is a dawn. There is a deliverer. And in the valley of the shadow of death, God shows up and loves us. And if you are sitting in darkness, if you are experiencing the shadow of death, this text in verse 79 this morning gives us the promise of peace, the beautiful reality that there is light here for you. There is breakthrough here for you. And his name is Jesus Christ because he was born and he died for you. That's the knowledge of salvation. That's the redemption that is offered to you. Where today do you need to choose to look to the light, to look off of your circumstances and to look up? Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Um, Look to the Lord. Choose to walk in the light. The light is possible. What's powerful right here is to guide our feet into the way of peace. The way of peace is possible. The way of peace is Jesus Christ. Where are your feet walking today? When I read this this week, It just brought me right to Psalm 23. To those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Look at what this David, King David, right? The one from whom, whose line Jesus comes, writes in Psalm 23 about the shadow of death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we're not denying that we are walking through the valley of the shadow. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and what? mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, the valley of the shadow of death is not meant to be a destination. It's meant to be passing through as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The rod, the staff of God go with me and he prepares before me in the presence of my enemies, a table overflowing with goodness and mercy. And God's mercy is enough for your mess. Today,
in the view of the reality that God's mercy provides transformation. It, it, it provides redemption. It proclaims salvation. Where do you need to believe, to surrender, to trust, to obey? What next step is God asking you to take? Would you pull out your, your cup? Communion is about remembrance. It's about remembering who God is to us and what Jesus has done for us. It's about remembering his mercy. Now communion is, is for God's people. At Harvest, we practice open communion and the fact that you don't have to be a member here to partake in it. But we do ask from a biblical context that you would, if you, are, you must be a believer, that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to take it. So if you've not quite made that step yet, two things. One, I would implore you and ask you with all my heart to do that today. To respond to the mercy and the salvation of God by choosing to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And secondly, if you're not quite there yet for whatever reason, please graciously refrain from taking communion with us. The text, God's word says that we should not approach God's table. We should not participate in communion with a dirty, unclean heart. So right now, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And as we prepare to take his bread, the represented by the, the cracker, the wafer, would you just pause as Chris continues to play to confess any sin that you have unconfessed before God? Ask the Lord to search your heart and reveal to you any way that is not of him or for him. And then anchoring in the reality of his mercy, that forgiveness is possible through his tender mercy today. Will you confess your sins to God and ask him to forgive you and trust in that reality that he will? On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for me. Eat this and remember it to me. So friends, would you take the wafer on top of the cup right now and eat this in remembrance of Jesus Christ? Just like Zachariah and Elizabeth, they lived a life committed to the obedience of God in response to the love of God. Where is God asking you to commit your life to him in a heart of worship today? So would you close your eyes and bow your head again and Ask the Holy Spirit what next step of faith he's asking you to take today. In view of the blood spilled for you, how is he asking you to serve him? Because that's the response we see in the text. In response to God's mercy, we should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice all of our days, not some of them. So where is he asking you to take a next step of faith to obey him and serve him today? And would you make that commitment between you and God today? And then we'll take the cup. he was betrayed, Jesus took, took the, the wine, took the cup, and he poured it and said, this is my blood spilled for you. Drink this in remembrance of me and proclaim my death till the day that I come. So friends, would you now drink this juice in remembrance of Jesus Christ? Jesus, thank you for your mercy and thank you for your grace. Your mercy is the foundation of our redemption. Thank you that we can break free from the bondage of sin through the gift of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that the incarnation points to the crucifixion and to the resurrection, and through that we have redemption and salvation. 
that we experience true heart transformation from being lost to found, from being forsaken to now being adopted as your forever family through your blood, Jesus, from being hostile to presented holy, God, through your blood, through your mercy, through your grace. And God, help us to worship you for that in every season, through our worry. Help us to proclaim our promise, your promises into our problems. Help us to trust you and to turn to you in the middle of our trials as opposed to turning away from you. Jesus, thank you for the cross. We love you. In your name we pray, amen.